This is Choni's Circle. I'm Tamara Lubicki. I'm Rabbi Paula Rose. And on Choni's Circle, we are going to explore Jewish texts from the Torah through the Talmud and lots of traditional commentaries to grapple with climate change to help us process our emotions about climate change and about this particular moment um, and to help us try to make sense of the world that we find ourselves in. So today we're going to be looking at an excerpt from the book of Jonah, starting in chapter 3. So just to get everybody up to speed on the story, at the beginning of the book of Jonah, God tells Jonah to deliver a prophecy to the people of Nineveh that their city is going to be destroyed because of their wickedness. Jonah tries to run away. He winds up on a ship. He jumps off. He winds up getting swallowed by a big fish. He prays to God from the belly of the fish and gets spit out. And that is where we pick up now at the beginning of chapter three. So it begins, the word of God came to Jonah a second time. Go at once to Nineveh, that great city, and proclaim to it what I tell you. Jonah went at once to Nineveh in accordance with God's command. Nineveh was an enormously large city, a three days walk across. Jonah started out and made his way into the city, the distance of one day's walk, and proclaimed, 40 days more and Nineveh shall be overthrown. The people of Nineveh believed in God. They proclaimed a fast and great and small alike put on sackcloth. When the news reached the king of Nineveh, he rose from his throne, took off his robe, put on sackcloth, and sat in ashes. And he had the word cried through Nineveh, By decree of the king and his nobles, no human or animal, a flock or herd, shall taste anything. They shall not graze, and they shall not drink water. He shall be covered with sackcloth, human and animal, and shall cry mightily to God. Let everyone turn back from their own evil ways and from the injustice of which they are guilty." Who knows but that God may turn and relent. God may turn back from wrathfulness so that we do not perish. God saw what they did, how they were turning back from their evil ways. And God renounced the punishment that had been planned for them and did not carry it out. Then at the beginning of chapter 4, we get Jonah's reaction to that series of events. This displeased Jonah greatly and he was grieved. He prayed to God saying, O eternal one, isn't this just what I said when I was still in my own country? That is why I fled beforehand to Tarshish, for I know that you are a compassionate and gracious God, slow to anger, abounding in kindness, renouncing punishment. Please, eternal one, take my life, for I would rather die than live. God replied, are you that deeply grieved? Yeah, so this is always a very surprising turn of events for me, is that Jonah's supposed to be this messenger of God and a person who wants, presumably wants to see God's plan for the earth live out all over the world. And then once it actually happens, he's extremely upset. And he basically says, I tried to run away from this very thing. <laughs> yeah. And I think, I think part of the challenge here, like I have some sympathy for Jonah in this moment, because the way that the city turns around is basically on his back. He has to look like an idiot, right? He comes in and is like, Nineveh is going to be destroyed. 
he says that knowing he tells us later that Nineveh is not going to be destroyed because God is going to have compassion on them. And so he is put in a little bit of a hard position, right, where his task is to go and proclaim something that he knows is actually not going to be true because God is going to forgive them. But it's the belief in that that is what spurs the people of Nineveh to change. If Jonah comes in and says, you should change your ways because otherwise God isn't going to forgive you. But actually, I know that God is going to forgive you because God is compassionate. Right? Like, that's not, that's not as compelling a case. He comes in with a threat that he knows is empty. And I think that that's just hard. His role is not to come and like teach Nineveh the right way to be, right? Like what he's ultimately told to do is go in and tell them something that he really believes and ultimately is proven correct that is going to be false. Yeah, so that's really interesting. So do you see it as he feels like either a liar or a person that's foolish for having said what he said, and that's why he's so upset he'd rather die than live. Like, it's his own personal ego challenge that's, like, upsetting him so much. I mean, that's certainly how I just read it, is that it's an ego issue. I think there are a lot of other ways to read it, too, including, right, like, maybe he's not ready to forgive, right? Like, he has seen or knows whatever wickedness has been happening in Ninveh, and he's like, okay, like, very nice that they just changed their behavior, but I'm actually holding a lot of anger about the things that I saw them do or heard that they did before this. And like, okay, they like fasted a little bit and like, I'm not really ready to give them a clean slate. So I don't know if that's part of it. I don't know if there's like a sense of like having been sent on a futile mission, right? right? Of like, why did you make me come all this way for something that wasn't even going to pan out? Isn't one of the classic interpretations, Jonah is devoted to the Jewish people. And he really wants the Jews to repent. And then he, like, can't get the Jews to repent. And then he goes to this other place and they're just like, sure. <laughs> yeah, so it's interesting, right? Like, we don't know that much about Jonah beyond just, like, the book of Jonah, right? This is sort of, like, the only place where we really got him. But, yeah, right? Like, that's what all of the other prophets... Right? Like, in some ways, this is a very embarrassing book for the Jewish people. <laughs> right? Because all of the other... Not all of them. But most of the other books of prophets, right, are prophets attempting to get the Jews to repent and do the right thing. And it usually doesn't go this well. <laughs> and so that's sweet. I like love that imagining of like Jonah sort of feeling defensive on behalf of the Jewish people <laughs> of like, oh, like this makes us look really bad because we can't get our act together. Right. Um, but the people of Nineveh can't. Yeah. And just to like circle back to the purpose of our podcast, the reason that I brought this text in is we as humanity are like doing a lot of things that cause the globe to warm and climate to change. And it's this idea of like, there are actions we do as individuals, actions that corporations do, that governments do, that have caused this reality we're living in and the possible future that could get even worse. And so sometimes when I think of the Torah's idea of sin and repentance, it can map on to that. And I wanted to explore this idea of forgiveness and repentance and how, as you said, it can be very hard to forgive mm -hmm. and it can be hard to forgive quickly. And so how do we relate to different kind of actors in the past and the present that are contributing to climate change? And 
how do these ideas of repentance and forgiveness and like the difficulty of forgiveness play into it? And when you actually read from the beginning and told the story of how Jonah is going through the city proclaiming that in 40 days it will be destroyed, I was actually thinking about these dire warnings of climate change that we've heard for a very long time and we didn't (laughs) repent. Yeah. And so, yeah, it is interesting to look at the reality we may have observed and what's worked, what hasn't. Either it's just been a very slow process for humanity. We can't be like the city of Nineveh and repent immediately. We have to like adapt to the change it's just like a very slow process as opposed to what we see here, which is like three days or something. But also I feel like we have been seeing accelerating change recently in clean energy and electric vehicles and different commitments from countries to preserve wildlife. And I don't know why, maybe it's just that time thing, but it could also be that we've just been directly observing a lot more suffering and destruction with vast wildfires and flooding and that when it was this idea yeah it wasn't powerful but when it was a observable reality it became powerful which is why (laughs) with this idea of like jonah saying you will be destroyed And they believe him and they go about it. Yeah. But the other thing that I noticed when you're reading this story of how the actual repentance occurred is it was by decree of the king. Yeah. And would Ninveh have all from a grassroots level like repented or was it a special individual personality that got it? And because that person was in power, they were able to make the changes. I think that that the piece with the king is really striking. And relatedly, I think it's potentially really powerful that what the king is calling for is like a few different behaviors, one of which is actually changing your evil ways, right? Like one of them is actually doing the right thing, right? But that's actually only one of the things. So the other things are calling out to God, wearing sackcloth, both humans and animals, and also not eating and not drinking. And I wonder actually if like the sackcloth and the not eating and not drinking, and maybe even the calling out to God, we could talk more maybe about where that falls, are actually about creating that external reality where it's in your faces, Mm. right? So like that concretizes it, right? Even if like you individual citizen of Nineveh, don't necessarily take this prophecy seriously, right? But when the king says, okay, like everybody can't eat and everybody has to wear sackcloth, is that a way of communicating to you, right? Sort of similar to the increase in natural disasters that we've seen like, oh, like this is real and I have to take it seriously because it's in my face and affecting my daily life in a really concrete way. Just having those in your face reminders create the drive to like actually be ready to change behavior. We will be destroyed in 40 days. This is what destruction looks like. You don't have food. Your clothing starts to to disintegrate. Yeah, oh, I like that. And from that perspective, is there a way of motivating ourselves to further engage in environmental action? I don't know, by experiencing something, like having more visceral experiences. 
or at least even just having it more visible to us, right? right? Like, I think even just, like, that, the constant reality of, like, right, like, this is literally about feeling it in your body, right? Like, feeling it on your skin and feeling it in your stomach. And we're in this for the long haul. This is not going to be a few-day affair, so uh, I'm certainly not calling for a continuous fast and wearing of sackcloth until until we reach a better place. But but I do think that there's an interesting question of like what's a what's a sustainable, safe <laughs> way that we can actually have constant visceral reminders of the work that we need to do. I guess the thought that occurred to me, which might actually not not be plausible for my lifestyle, but like for people who have more flexible lifestyles, one thing that I've thought of is can you go volunteer at a climate disaster site? Yeah. Like, can you go to a place that has recently experienced a forest fire, be part of the relief effort, or go to a hurricane site and be part of the relief effort and just, like, really come face-to-face with what climate change is? Yeah. And hopefully you'll have a better reaction than Jonah. Yeah. (laughs) Which, um, I don't know, before we end, I kind of want to come back to Jonah's reaction when he sees this positive outcome, he becomes angry. And we were talking about how either it's a challenge somehow to his identity that this positive outcome came about, or it's just he's acknowledging the truth of his emotions, like, I can't forgive this quickly. And God's actually challenging him on that. He's like, well, that's how you feel, but should you feel this like contemplate how you're feeling that's for me some of the beauty of judaism is like we both acknowledge what our natural inclinations are and we also then are able to challenge that okay yeah this is something that you feel do you have to then act on it yeah do you have to continue feeling it can you challenge what you're thinking and what you're feeling And I think in this case, with forgiveness, it is pertinent to the environmental movement because there are a lot of bad actors, corporations that have had a lot of pollution or have had propaganda campaigns to try to convince people that climate change is not real. And... It can be difficult to see some of those same people turning around and doing environmentally positive things. And so what do we do about that? So, like, my take would be we want everyone in the fight, that we need to, like, have a process of forgiveness and have a process of looking at our own reactions and being able to come at things from a different angle, but... It's also good, like Jonah, to like be able to honestly speak what's coming up. Yeah. I mean, we could talk a lot about like what are the steps of chuva, right? How do we correct our behaviors? That's another episode. But it seems striking here that the critical elements beyond the pieces of like fasting and sackcloth and prayer, the essence ultimately is like making different choices, right? And like doing good instead of doing harm. And it's pretty clear that that's what God is looking for, right? And immediately God is moved to compassion and and God forgives. 
and Jonah has a harder time with that. Though it seems that part of Jonah's harder time with that is that he knows that God is going to forget. Like, <laughs> like he knew that that was coming and right. is annoyed about it anyway. But I think you're right. Jonah, I think, is given to us here as a reminder of the kinds of things that we might feel that we might be really resistant to welcoming into the fold people or corporations or other entities who have been bad actors in the past. But I think ultimately, like, this text is calling upon us to be like God, right? That's often, often our task in Jewish life, that know when somebody is ready to do differently than, like, we let them. Right. And I think it's important for us to consider, like, what's the alternative? The alternate endings of this story are, like, God doesn't forgive them, then what? The city of Nineveh gets destroyed. Like, who does that serve? <laughs> right. And I think that that's true when it comes to climate also. If we can't build as broad of a coalition as possible to creating a new future for ourselves, then, like, okay, then we dissolve into infighting and didn't solve the problem. So <laughs> that's not helpful. Right. So considering what's the alternative and considering the wonderful things that can happen if we can come together. I'm Rabbi Paula Rose, the Associate Rabbi of Congregation Beth Shalom in Seattle. This podcast is a project of Congregation Beth Shalom and Ahavat Ve'avodat Adama, our community's environmental group. Choni's Circle was recorded in Seattle, Washington at Full Track Productions. It was produced by Tamara Labicki and Dave Dintenfass. With original music by Ella Labicki Feldman. Thanks for listening and learning with us.